0: Call 250-740-1017 and show us some love when you're done consider signing up for a sustaining donation at $5 a month and receive an awesome tote bag to rep the station love listen CHOY 101.7 FM listener supported ZONK there you go. <laughs> we're hockey fans and uh, you've got some team and you've got some goalie I can tell you
1: the middle, Celia, left side over the Bulldog line, Celia, nice pass up. Coley scores,
2: Parker Coley, that is 2-1. What a shot, what a great move by David Celia. Don't, trip, don't slip, just step and die. And you can catch me on the
1: 405. Two on one here for the Clippers. If they hurry in front and a redirection out of midair by Tristan Crozier. And the Clippers have won it in overtime. O-O-O-G, We only listen
2: to and with a shot. Scores! the off the trapper and in. And
0: Sinhold makes it 5-0.
1: Roll up a lead. Oh, no do
2: I we don't
0: love this song, it never gets me. Classic. Classic song. Folks, you're listening to uh Zonk Radio? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Stick in Rink Radio on CHLY 1017 FM from Vancouver Island and online at chly.ca. Reminder, if you miss any part of the show, you can download the podcast, Stick in Rink Podcast, wherever you get your podcast from. Again, after the show, we'll get that posted for you. And thanks to everyone tuning in on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Folks, the best thing you can do for us uh, this week, besides donating on patreon not a big deal is to give us five stars on iTunes, apple podcast facebook or honestly wherever you get your podcasts from if you're looking for some of that good karma five stars and a kind review it helps us reach more listeners dylan three hour show today this is where this is our usual start time so things are starting to feel a little familiar right now
1: yeah you know the the studio is warming up now we've been in here an hour and it's uh starting to get there by hour three well, I, I don't know if we're gonna want to be in here, but hey, we're we're gonna stick in for the fans.
0: We're gonna stick in the rink. Woo! I wish I was in a rink right now. Okay, let's get into some <laughs> National Hockey League news.
2: There to bring us the lowdown, fresh off a of Big Apple hoedown, where there was a corned beef on rye throwdown. It's showdown.
0: It's showdown, Dylan. Let's get into some recent National Hockey League. News, and it's brought to you by our friends at Spreza Box. Use promo code <laughs> STICKINRINK for 10% off your monthly subscription. And, man, we've talked about these boxes before. Oh,
1: they great boxes. they great
0: boxes. From Cufflinks, Ties, um... And everything in between. Everything in between. <laughs> <laughs> between box, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, find us on Twitter. We have the link where you can find and support box. Uh Let's start with a story that you brought forth, Dylan.
1: Yeah, we're going to start off in the desert in Arizona and the Arizona coyotes typically you know they they're known for not having great ticket sales. No. We're all very aware of their struggles, but things have changed after acquiring forward Phil Kessel Tickets have ticket sales have gone up. They've actually truly skyrocketed. (laughs) They've actually skyrocketed. Regular ticket sales have gone up. This is compared to last year, five hundred and fifty percent. Season ticket sales have gone up six hundred percent from last season, and this is all because of the hot dog eating Phil Kessel.
0: Is it all on Phil Kessel? Do you think, or do you think there's a little bit? Do you think a little bit is part of the success and some of the young players coming up? I think it's a combination, but. Also, at the end of the He's day, the catalyst. I mean, he was the
1: catalyst. Yeah, the the Coyotes, they're, they're making great moves. They're obviously trying to improve the team. And I feel like this was the move that just confirmed that to the fans that, hey, we're making a push. We're trying to put together a good team here. And I, and I think that was enough uh, to convince some of these fans. And, and, you know, the proof is in the pudding. It really is. Um, and Phil Kessel's probably going to eat it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Yes>. Sorry, Phil. <laughs> yes, he is. Um, but if you look at this team, this Arizona Coyotes team, they underperformed last year. And that's with an asterisk because they almost made the playoffs and they were detrimented with injuries. Like I said, Brad Richardson towards the end of the season was their top center. And that's
1: that's saying something. He's a
0: third line center, and taking nothing away from Brad Richardson's Hell, he's a fourth line center on a good National Hockey League team.
1: No, and you know they. I feel like that team at the end of the day. I know they didn't make the playoffs, but they overperformed. They overperformed because, like you said, they were decimated with injuries. They had no. They had no top end scores by the end of it. I mean, it, it was a pretty. It was a pretty tough season. You know, the last twenty five games for the Coyotes, but. Now that everybody's healthy, they're getting some pieces back. You know, Nick Schmaltz is going to be a super important piece for them moving forward. You know, Phil Kessel is going to help him out in his production. So, yeah, I I, I can see the Coyotes taking a big step forward this year.
0: Um, Yeah, and Phil Kessel, all he does is score goals. And what he provides the Arizona Coyotes, and again, Chaika wouldn't, uh, wouldn't have acquired this player if he didn't think he would fit in the system. Where the Arizona Coyotes have had to work so hard to either tie a game up defend it to keep it close or ultimately score goals, especially when they're decimated with injury, Phil Kessel will give them that opportunity, whether in shape or not, to, to come down the wing and fire a puck in and score, because that's what goal scorers do. So where whereas last season and the season prior, though the Arizona Coyotes have talent and young up and coming goal scores, they just didn't have that ability yet the National Hockey League, where Phil will he will give them a goal like pretty much a goal when, when they need it the most if he's on the ice like you can almost take that to the bank
1: you know looking at the the Arizona Coyotes games they lost so many games by one goal it, they, they were able to hold on but it was just that one goal that they were missing that one goal score and you know the solution really could be Phil Castle
0: or someone who can make that first pass or just be part of a play whether you know he has the shot but sees someone open because the, the man he's an elite hockey player he, he re- really he is, really is. And he is, has yeah. the vision it's not just like he's a one man show I mean I don't want to say he's Alex Ovechkin, but in comparison to Alex Ovechkin in that goal-scoring role, the guy, he doesn't just bomb up the wing and, and shoot. Yeah, he has that ability with, like, Kessel Ovechkin. They're one of the same to just fire one in and get you a goal or two when you need it the most or when you're least expecting it. However, Phil, though he's not the most defensive-minded guy, if you look at his assists last season, 55 in the year prior, 58. Yeah, I know he's skating with some tremendous players as, you know, Sidney Crosby, Gino Malkin, but he's also played with third-liners, and he's been able to produce. And,
1: you know, he hasn't played with those caliber of players his entire career. When he was with the Toronto Maple Leafs... Bozak and Lupo, Exactly, and he was still able to produce. And, you know, they got some pretty damn good young players... On the Coyotes, you know, Clayton Keller, Nick Schmaltz, uh, among others. So I I think Phil Kessel is going to fit in quite well. And it's nice to add that veteran presence to their front end. I know Phil Kessel isn't regarded as a leader. But at the same time, you you need that stability, I guess, for the front end. Especially, you know, like I said, they got young guys like Keller and Schmaltz. But, hey, they might have a rough stretch of 25 games. And, you know, if you got Phil Kessel, he can still put in a goal every, you know, two, three games. That that helps a lot.
0: I'm... I can't believe I'm gonna say this. I'm excited to see the Arizona, what the Arizona Coyotes are gonna look like next season. Because some of their, some of these contracts that they've had on the books for a while, where they've acquired to, um, well, to acquire draft picks, you know, holding, holding money essentially, you know, Pavel Datsuk for one of them. Uh, th- these contracts are slowly coming off the books for the Arizona Coyotes, and now they're gonna pounce. I, I agree, and you know, it's worked out
1: for them. They've. They've weaponized their cap, as people love to say.
0: Or people in the Vancouver dream of uh, <laughs> the Jim Benning doing, which is impossible now.
1: You know, and they, they did it throughout their rebuilding years, and, and it all made sense. And now they're slowly coming out, starting to see those contracts expire. It's uh, it's always nice to see a plan come together. It really is.
0: It really is. And uh, I think they're really going to take a stab here in the Western Division. How are you? Western Conference, Sorry. <laughs>
1: It's uh, it's gonna give Corey and Richie a lot to talk about this season with the Arizona Coyotes. Hey, we
0: have some time. Let's uh, let's talk about that that a little bit. Who are Corey and Richie, and what is the Hockey Podcast Network, Dylan? Let's start off with Corey and Richie. So right. Corey and Richie, they got their own show.
1: They got their own show, the Corey and Richie Show. Uh, they're out of Arizona, and they will be covering the Arizona Coyotes for the Hockey Podcast Network. Therefore, they will be releasing two episodes every single week. In regards to the Arizona Coyotes. Wow.
0: 30 to 45 minute episodes. So a decent length, but nothing too much where, you know, if you got to drop your kids off at work or if you just you just want to hang out on your break at work and fire up a 30 minute podcast, you can do it. You don't have to, you know, go back to it later. Like if you're listening to Stick and Rink, almost two hours of content there, content there bud. And if you do want to listen to more, we're going to have 30
1: other NHL teams on the podcast network that you can listen to.
0: So essentially, folks, wherever you get your podcast from, you look up come October 1st, the Hockey Podcast Network. And every time you swipe your phone, tablet, refresh your computer screen, every Monday, 31 episodes. Every Whew. every uh, Thursday, 31 episodes. And next year, 32 with Seattle coming into the league. Wow. So more than 60 episodes of content. Hashtag
1: Stat guy. Every week. Every week, folks. It's going to be unreal. And, you know, the amazing part about it is... You know, you're a Florida Panthers fan and you live in Vancouver. You we're, have content. We're, we're going to have something for you. You're Dallas Stars. We're going to have something. We, we have something for every hockey fan on this network.
0: And if you're just a fan of the National Hockey League as a whole, boy, do you have... There's, a, there's more content there's than more, you can handle. Exactly. There's more content that than you can handle. But you talked about uh, if stick and rink. You're still going to be able to listen to stick and rink. It's just not going to be in this form anymore. So how about we run down that? So...
1: Essentially, the stick in rink podcast and radio uh, will be going to the hockey podcast network and it will be changing into the format of the hockey podcast 30 network to 45 minute episodes twice a week, twice a week. Exactly. And Isha and myself, we're we're done with stick and rink. Actually, we're handing over the reins of stick and rink.
0: I mean, we, we had to because these two talented guys, they outdid the, us in the Vancouver region. I mean, we're the vets. You know, we're coming off our two year deals. No. Let's be honest. A few beers later. They don't, want, they don't want to bring us back on that uh, term deal. We're not settling for a bridge. So we've gone on elsewhere and uh, the up-and-coming prospects. You could call them, uh, I don't know, are they like Sadines coming in 2-3 and three overall?
1: Yeah, we'll, we'll call them
0: Sadines. There you go, coming into the van. They didn't quite make
1: first overall, but yes. hey, boys, that's pretty good.
0: Second and third overall, they're they're taking over uh the hockey podcast network elijah and josh of ride the pod you can find them at ride the pod on twitter they're going to continue that podcast which is going to turn because it is a hockey podcast it's going to turn more into lifestyle stuff which these guys are hilarious folks we wouldn't hand over stick and rink to to anyone uh but these fellas oh they're ride the pod so they are so give them a follow um i think it's episode 27 or 28 where they announce moving to the network and it's hilarious it's great so uh There, there's our little spiel on the Hockey Podcast Network. Before we talk more about the National Hockey League, let's quickly remind our listeners uh, about the contests that we have on our last two Stick and Rink Radio appearances, today included, and July 28th.
1: Folks, we have some just just incredible prizes. Bangers? Amazing prizes. And really, all you have to do to win a prize on this station tonight is is call us. call us. call us. at 250-740-1017 or toll-free at 1-855-740-1017. Just give us anything. T- give us a hockey take. Tell us your favorite animal. Give us an animal noise. Give yo, us... yell Arby. Give us any... We'll give you two prizes, Yell Arby. But give us anything, folks. We will give you a prize. Actually, you know what? We're going to list off some of the prizes we have. We have a nice, a beautiful, colorful canucks sweater it's, it's kind of on the borderline of an ugly christmas sweater but it's not without the ugly part
0: and it's a medium i, I think
1: i believe it's a medium and then we have we got
0: stuff for all sizes all by the
1: way. sizes most are medium large we've we kind of stuck in that generally. small
0: area. bc Lions jersey a though sm- brand spanking new
1: small bc Lions jersey can win that as well we also have a canucks hoodie that's right a nice hoodie from the vancouver canucks and a canucks t-shirt a large canucks t-shirt brand spanking new
0: and in addition, we have two $10 gift cards to Tim Hortons, ladies and gentlemen, courtesy of the Victoria Royals. So there you go. Folks, That that's that's easy money. If we, you don't if you don't like easy money, then you don't like these contests.
1: You better be calling in if you say you like easy money. Because if you don't, you're a liar.
0: <laughs> yeah, firing up Dylan here. We've had no callers, folks. But again, easy money. Touching. We're waiting um, on you, Shane. Uh, we talked about the Arizona Coyotes a little bit ago. Speaking of the Yotes, their former... Uh, head coach Dave Tippett's good friend Mark Lamb. Get this, declined a coaching position Blammer. with Tippett uh, in Edmonton with the Oilers. Instead, he remains in Prince George, British Columbia, not only to continue serving as general manager, but now also head coach of the WHL, Prince George Cougars. Unbelievable stuff. I, I think this story is cool because, sure, Edmonton ain't that much better than Prince George, but it's cool to see that this guy is you know, staying with the franchise that he's building, and now taking on a bigger role, and clearly he has, uh, clearly he has the ability to coach because he was offered a position in the National Hockey League.
1: Yeah, you know, some people call Prince George actually Edmonton Junior, so it, it kind of fits <laughs> out at the yeah. end of the day. Um, but it is interesting that you know he he chose to stuck with the stick with the WHL team over an NHL franchise and. Yeah, I know it's the Edmonton Oilers, but it's still an NHL franchise, still a a storied franchise. I mean, goddamn, people think about the last 10 years too much. I think if you look before, uh, you know, the Edmonton Oilers had a different story, so hopefully they can change that around. But at the moment, I I can see why he would want to stay where he is.
0: And Mr. Lamb has coached as an assistant in 2001 and 2002 with the Edmonton Oilers. He was an assistant coach with the Dallas Stars from 2003 to 2009. And then he spent seven years coaching in the WHL head coach for the Swift Current Broncos. And then 2016-17, he uh, coached with the Tuscan Roadrunners of the AHL. So he's a seasoned coach before taking over as GM for the Prince George Cougars. Getting back behind the bench. And uh, there's a little bit of a Vancouver Island link here, Dylan. There,
1: there absolutely
0: is. Which and is this is why we wanted to highlight
1: this. And this is a quirky one, too.
0: All right. Mr. Lamb, Mark Lamb. He's a former Nanaimo Islander. Oh,
1: the Nanaimo Islanders, you say?
0: Of the WHL. So oh. there was a WHL team here back then. I thought in the it
1: was day. the only the NDSS Islanders we had. That's here.
0: what I was gonna say. What's going on here? I mean, I'm pretty sure ND has been around. They, I think they made their first appearance. You know what? In Nanaimo before the Islanders of the WHL. So I wonder what's going on. Here.
1: There has been some rooking going on here. I'll tell
0: you that. <laughs> By the way, you can follow NDSS on Twitter and Woo. NDSS, I believe, sports or football or whatever. They get a little crazy. Athletics. They that's get a little
1: crazy. If you've got kids. Maybe you won't want to follow them. But hey.
0: Hey, okay, there you go. So um, quickly before we move on here. Uh, Mark Lamb scored. The Lamster. 51 points, 14 goals in 30 games for Nanaimo. So there you go. There's the uh, there's the little island connection. You know, I
1: think it might be the first time that we've actually mentioned the former WHL team from Nanaimo. I don't think it's ever come up in conversation before.
0: Which is... Uh, which is Quite surprising. Which is surprising. And uh, you know what? Well, there's a first time for everything. And how about we give him some uh, Jamaican horns? There you go, bud. Ooh. All right, let's move on.
1: <laughs> Speaking of great. Jamaican horns, this man <laughs> needs some.
0: Give her, done. All right,
1: uh, Eugene Melnick has... He always kind of finds himself in sticky situations Ugh. and he found himself in one this this past week i don't know maybe i phrased that incorrectly because he didn't necessarily put himself in the position he just seems to it always came to
0: him yeah and he just always seems to be in the tabloids lately because oh, he's one of the more colorful owners i'd say and it's Kind of embarrassing that he's coming out of the nation's capital, Canada.
1: So Eugene Melnick was at a rock concert in the past over the past week. Rolling Stones. Rolling Stones. Shout out to everyone who came and saw him in Seattle. When a local politician uh made her way up to where whereabouts Eugene Melnick was sitting, e- Eugene thought he was just a crazy fan coming to no you know heckle him r- or something. R- yeah, tear a strip off him. But no, she yelled, "Do you know who I am?" And he replies, "No." And she says, "I'm your minister." And you're a bleeping idiot, and you're a bleeping loser. And she stormed off. So that that's the kind of reception Eugene Melnick is getting from the local uh, politicians, the the people who really run the show there in Ottawa. Don't take too kindly to all Eugene. No, they don't. They bought a lake and they did not name it Eugene.
0: No, they they. Or don't. Melnick, sorry. And uh, bought bought a lake. I named botched it, it. Named it Melnick. Um, and Lisa McLeod actually, she she apologized. Uh, after and said, I regret my inappropriate remarks and apologize for them. Um, I bet she had a couple drinky poos in her at that time. But I still think he's a. <laughs> but but
1: you,
0: I wish that was the quote. But you know what? This just shows the passion. Oh yeah, from the local government. How crazy is that? You think because of a some government slush, worker, you know government worker comes and still has to give her <laughs> two cents about hockey. I don't know if that's Coword or Canadian Dylan. Maybe a little bit of both. I think that's both right there. So I don't know if I I don't know if I have to complete I don't know if I've lost complete disrespect for this government official. Maybe there's a smidgen of respect there because at least you got la passion.
1: La passion, as they would say. <laughs> But oh, yeah, hilarious it, story, though Great stuff. Uh you know, it just wouldn't be stick and rink radio without a story that just completely destroys Eugene Melnick. I feel like that's really been a trend from our start of really starting this whole podcast and coming into the radio, one thing that's been consistent is us ripping on Eugene Melnick.
0: Hey, we don't back down. No, we don't. You know, We Bergevin and Melnick we've cannot heard from, stand him. We've heard from Melnick's
1: people. They're not happy with us, folks, but we don't care. We're going to give you the real news.
0: Yeah, at least the folks in Russia are happy with us, unlike the Chicklets. You know, we can take a little heat coming from the Senators. When you got heat coming from Poots, oh, ooh. Your house may end up like that uh, that plant that's, I think, still on fire in Moscow. But anyway, is the
1: story <laughs> for another thing. You will end up at the bottom of Lake Melnick.
0: Okay. Uh, Last story coming out of the National Hockey League before we run down our poll question before bringing on Dave Tomlinson. Again, this is a story that you brought to my attention, Dylan, when we were prepping, so I'll let you uh, intro it on here.
1: All right, folks. The Seattle NHL franchise has applied for their AHL franchise, their American Hockey League franchise, which is their minor league feeder team. They have applied for a team in Palm Springs, California, where they're planning on building a 10,000 seat brand spanking new arena in Palm Springs, California for 2021 for, for 2021 for the AHL franchise. That pretty quick. It's pretty quick. It's a big arena for an AHL franchise. I don't know if they're going to fill those seats. I mean, it's obviously going to be a multi purpose arena. But hey, Palm Springs, California—not not a bad spot to be if you got to play in the minors.
0: It's quiet. I mean, there's a lot of—it's a retirement community. Yeah. So maybe there are a ton of hockey fans in that community. They must have—they must have pulled, uh, uh, you know, early season ticket. They must have had season ticket polls to be able to c- even consider this, right?
1: Especially since they're planning on building such a big arena. You got to have exactly. some. Prior uh, commitments before you can you know go into go into something that large because
0: the AHL much like the WHL, if you're bringing in five to ten thousand, that that's that's the range you want to be in.
1: Yeah, you're doing pretty good at that point. So you know, hey, if they can if they can fill it up, and you know, they might do pretty well the first two seasons. We know what it's like bringing in a new franchise I mean the buzz and the hype around them is, is always huge even if it's an AHL team the fact that they're going to be connected to the new Seattle franchise I think will help them out long term let's see what happens let's
0: see what happens um, I believe on the Stickering podcast and, and the radio show uh, a few months ago when we first heard when that Palm Spring was a potential spot also Idaho was the potential spot as well if i right. mistaken
1: I believe Boise, Idaho Boise
0: yeah because, and we actually looked it up like that would <laughs> be a good market for you know professional hockey not the NHL level by any means but yeah, it, it looked like it would be a good a good spot, you know, we, a decent community, and there's some junior hockey there going on.
1: I th- We brought up Boise, Idaho as one of those cities that would be great for a professional women's hockey team.
0: Yes, that's but, what it was, you know, absolutely.
1: I, who knows if that'll happen, but uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's a gap in that market. And hey, down the road, Boise might be able to pick up an AHL franchise with with another NHL team.
0: Absolutely. That, that's such a good point there, because um, we, we, we've we seen the same building host two AHL teams before. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's get into our poll question before. Like I said, we're bringing on our second guest of the show, Dave Tomlinson, and this one, uh, this one may get may get a little a little heated. Don't worry, we're not. It's gonna, been busy. We're not going to get into too much Canucks talk as it relates to our poll question. We'll save that for hour three when it's real steamy in the <laughs> studio here. But let's run down the poll question as it's a uh, it's 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 bumping it's bumping. It'd folks. be popping,
1: Ms. Dylan said. <laughs> you can find the poll question on Twitter at. Stick in rink pod. The question is straight up who will win the NHL offseason the Vancouver Canucks, the Arizona Coyotes, the Dallas Stars, or the Toronto Maple Leafs? So far, the Vancouver Canucks are actually ahead with 57%. No way, followed by the Arizona Coyotes I'm with 20%, the Toronto Maple Leafs at 15%, and Dallas Stars sitting in last place. With 8%.
0: So what do we know, Dylan? Because going into this, I would have said that I, I just can't vote for the Maple Leafs. And whether, I think I commented on this too, whether they acquire Marner or not, they still may come out as the the, the best team based on their moves and being able to at least make a run at Mitch Marner. They were able to sign Captain Johnson and Alex Kerr. But that, that in itself deserves an applause, an applause. But I can't vote for the Maple Leafs, obviously, because I hate them. You're a man of morals. Yeah, so Dallas Stars, in my opinion, was, you know, sure, they got older but they got better they got much better this and they addressed their need and scored they they did I mean when they
1: added they added Corey Perry for a very cheap contract a guy who I think he'll contribute 15 to 20 goals this year you know and then Joe Pavelski he'll put up 30 to 40 goals you added almost 50 goals with two players those are some good signings and
0: Corey Perry could score more who knows
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's had a couple bad seasons, but, you know, a bounce back, new team, fresh faces. Who knows what can happen?
0: Well, bad seasons by, you know, his his former account, you know, because he used to put up 40. The
1: guy who won the Rocky Richard there trophy. There you go,
0: 40, 30 goals like it was nothing. He was a, a power forward. He was a gritty guy. I mean, he was kind of like a Ryan Kessler type player. We hated him in Vancouver. Oh, absolutely. I called him a scumbag all the time because <laughs> he, he was. And he loves it. But he he was a little more quicker back in the day, both like laterally and you know north south. So if, if he can be surrounded by a couple quicker players and not have to take those hard matchups, Corey Perry is still you know he's a former elite player. I think he could 100% put up 20 goals on the third or fourth line.
1: No, and I love players like that because you sign him to put him on the third or fourth line. Top six guys get injured. This guy still has the skill and the talent that he can step up for short term. He can play a top six role for 20 games. I don't think that's an issue at all. But you know what? We've had some write-ins, actually, for this Twitter poll question. Uh, Legla underscore Noir. A little, a little French in there. How are you? He says... Potentially the Florida Panthers, since they added a top-tier goaltender. He also says, you know what? The Rangers, they did pretty good with adding Hughes, uh, Panarin, and Truba. Um, And then the Devils, you know, adding... Uh, s- sorry, the, the Rangers adding uh Caco. messed
0: up there. They didn't add Hughes, uh, Mr. No. Uh, Noir.
1: Legla Noir messed up. Uh, and then the Devils adding Hughes, not Kako, uh, PK Subban, and Wayne Simmons. New Jersey Devils was a team I thought might creep onto the list here, some write-ins. But, you know, the the New York Rangers, they're looking damn good, too.
0: Oh, they are. And I kind of, I don't know why I overlooked the Rangers, to be honest. Uh, They're not one of my favorite teams in the National Hockey League, so maybe from a personal uh, point of view, that's why. But, yeah, they've had a hell, they've had a hell of a turnaround. Since they, since that note, that quirky note came out, came out to their fans right after kind of the Ottawa Senators... Let it be known that they're going into a rebuild. Kind of, to a lesser degree, the Canucks let it be known that they're going into a rebuild, though, who knows what the hell the Canucks are. <laughs> Have been or are still going into, but that's, again, we're saving that for hour three, ladies and gentlemen. That's right, three hours. Um, But, but yeah, they, they made some outstanding moves this summer, too. I, I've... I can't believe I overlooked them to be honest. Well, it's easy to overlook the Jacob Truba
1: trade, but I think that's that's a huge add to them. Cuz
0: he's a top 2 defender, not not a top 4 like
1: Exactly. He's a legitimate top 2 and Capicaco.
0: yeah. Kako Obviously, they draft him, but that that's a great addition. Still
1: an addition, and you know Panarin, he's going to put up 30 to 40 goals. So he's he's going to be an absolute stud there in New York.
0: So they could probably compete for a playoff spot this I year.
1: I think so, and especially the way that the East is. I mean, it's a little bit fragmented right now, so they, they could easily squeak in.
0: Because they'll have, hopefully, some young players rise up, and they have some young players, you know, like Sabucinavich, for example, um, and then they still have, you know, Chris Kreider, who's only at only 26 years old, and I believe he him alongside Mika Zabinijad are the uh, the oldest, or I guess Panarin now, but those three are the oldest players on the team, uh, on the forward unit anyways. Zibinijad and Kreider must the be... The forward unit, right, because the defense still has Mark Stahl. They must be, you know,
1: the youngest old guys in the league because <laughs> it, they're the oldest guys on the team and it feels like that they've been in the league forever because they stepped in right away after they got drafted, but it's easy to overlook them and, you know, guys... Zibinijad's a stud. Guys like Zibinijad you know, this team's going through a rebuild and they're just drafting guys and they're stepping in. But Sabinejad is young enough that he's still going to be around by the time those guys can enter and make an impact because at the age he's at, he's still got 10 years left in
0: his tank. And he had a career year this year, I believe, 74 points, 30 goals. And this was a this was a less than stellar Rangers team. Chris Kreider, he's a 50-point player, but he's also a 20 to 30 goal scorer. Pavel Buchnevich, 38 points respectfully, but in 64 games, a 20... One goals. Jimmy Vc's out the door. We know Zuccarello's out. Um, Nemestikov, potentially still a good player though. I heard he was on the block. So this this team still has pieces to build on, like the you know Philip Heedle for example. Um, but they still have some crutches. Kevin Shattenkirk. He's fallen off a cliff. Yeah, he really this has. Doesn't fit the New York system. But there's enough here. You know, Lias Anderson for example. I could I could go through all of the, all these young players. But um, the longer the short of it is. They have a great core to build around. They, they sent out most of their deadweight cap that's not contributing to this team at all. And they sent out even younger players like VC who had value to just stock up on picks and or acquire the pieces uh, needed. They have new uh, bodies in management. And I hate to say it, but this New York team has found a path. And boy, have they... They've executed a rebuild on the fly better than I think any team in recent history in the NHL
1: friend of the show, at Derek Rebel. Oh. That's right, Derek Rebel chimed in. He's chimed in. He said he voted for Dallas. But now that you guys said Rangers on air, kind of leaning that way. So he's going to say it's 100% the Rangers for this offseason.
0: Thanks for listening live, CHLY 1017, Derek. Um, folks, if anyone else wants to chime in, please, one 740 1017 We have a ton of prizes to give away, and we'd love to hear your opinion, not only on the poll question, Maybe the names of the game, maybe some of the topics we've been covering throughout this show. We're
1: maybe gonna... you got some Hockey Podcast Network questions. Oh,
0: yeah, we're, we're here to answer those as well. We still got a few minutes before we bring on Dave uh, Dylan. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the, the New Jersey Devils.
1: Yeah, I mean, the New Jersey Devils had a less than stellar year last year. I mean, it's, it's, it's well known. down to reality, right? They, yeah, absolutely. They made
0: the playoffs in a year where Taylor Hall was an absolute stud. So, he was injured a lot of the, this year.
1: He was injured a lot, uh, most of the year, and they had a few other injuries down their lineup. But coming into this season, they added Wayne Simmons on just an unreal contract, in my opinion. Yeah, it's only one year, but it's, it's a cheap deal, $5 million. Oh,
0: he's a 20 to 30 goal scorer who can kill penalties, who can create space. Throw the body around. And though he's not the fastest anymore, he's not slow. He's not slow. He's not slow. And <laughs> from that movie we just watched, is he slow? What was that movie that we just watched? Baby the Driver. Baby Driver. If you Great heard, movie. If you haven't heard the he oh, Slow remix, go check it out. We're, we might have to dig that one up. I'll find it coming into we're, the third hour, f- I
1: promise you. We're so, g-
0: sorry to cut you off again. Where, where were we? Uh, we were talking a little bit about the uh, poll question in regards to the New Jersey Devils.
1: Right. We have, it's, it's getting hot in this studio, folks. We lose track. You know, you go to trail, things just cross your mind. Anyways, so they added Wayne Simmons... But the most important piece that they added, in my opinion, was PK Suban. And the reason why that was so important is they didn't give up any roster players. They didn't give up anything of substantial value in my opinion to acquire PK Suban. Yes, I know PK Suban right now probably isn't worth the nine million dollars he's getting paid. He's maybe more of a seven million dollars defenseman. But at the end of the day, you get that skill in the back end. You get that guy who can drive the offense. You get that guy who you can plug in on the power play. He's so versatile. And I think, you know, to overpay dollar-wise for this guy is worth it because you didn't overpay as far as giving up assets.
0: Exactly. And obviously, value-wise, you can make the argument that it, it, it's it's the same because of qu- uh, quantity going the Nashville Predators' way. Um, but if you look at this, Sure, it's an overpayment, but say because PK he has two more years left on his deal. Correct. So if you're to acquire him in free agency, you're gonna have to pay, overpay for uh, the the lack of term, anyways. So it's like signing him free agency. You know, maybe he's worth seven million dollars on a four or five year deal, but you're getting him for two more years at nine mil. So you can kind of look at it that way to to, to further justify. It. And it's not like the New Jersey Devils are in a cap crunch. Hell, th- their top two centers. 20 and 19 or like 19 and 18 years old respectively
1: yeah Yeah. so you know it's the right time in my opinion for the devils to add pieces like that you know the game's changing so much you get these young guys and once they're kind of comfortable you almost gotta pounce you gotta make the most of their entry-level contracts in some situations and i think that's kind of what the new jersey devils are doing here and on top of that you know what? You got to give Taylor Hall a reason to come back. You got to show him, hey, we're you trying to build em. a competitive team here and, and try to convince him to sign long-term.
0: They should just rename the team the Moj. Moj's team. Moj's team? Because I think he would love this team with uh, the likes of Taylor Hall and P.K. Subban. Oh, I- both of his favorite players. <laughs> oh, that's and so And I true. say that uh, tongue firmly planted in cheek. Folks, if you listen to TSN 1040, uh, Donnie and the Moj, the, uh, what is it now? the, after- the afternoon show. The lunch show. It's not the afternoon
1: drive. It's the not the PM afternoon drive. drive.
0: It's the the midday show. That's midday what it show. is. With Donnie the Moj. Uh, Moj is very uh, vocal about his, uh, I don't want to say distaste, but uh, how he's not a fan of a fan. Taylor Hall and P.K. Subban. And uh, what a locker room it's going to be with young guns. Taylor Hall, who's cleaned up his act, supposedly. Yeah. And P.K. Subban. P.K. Subban's loud. He is. He's loud. You see him uh, sport uh, Lindsay Vaughn's uh, bikini there? On oh, unfortunately. July? Yeah. Unfortunately. V- very loud.
1: <laughs> very loud. But hey, he's going to be a great addition to that New Jersey Devils team jersey. Joe, you're going to love it.
0: All right. Uh, we're not going to get into the Canucks because in hour three, oh, so much Woo. Canucks talk in the Canucks weekly wrap up. Uh, what we, wrap it up. What, what we are going to do, I'm wrapping it up, don't, <laughs> is bring on Dave Tomlinson, former DEL, the German League. Woo. You've heard about the German League on uh, Globe and baby. Uh, he was an all-star in the DEL. Dylan, four consecutive championships in five years upon joining the German Hockey League. Uh, in Ain't that 20. something. He's had a cup of coffee in the NHL. He played a ton in the AHL. Now he's a broadcaster for the IIHF on the TSN radio network. He tells some great stories. It was an honor to talk to Dave Tomlinson. Uh, before we bring him on, though, guys, don't forget to download the podcast wherever you get your podcast from at Pod. Our one, two, and three will be available after tonight's show. Um, in the final hour, we will get into all things Canucks. We will bring on uh, Vancouver Island native Doug Bodger, who played over a thousand games in the National Hockey League. He suited up for Team Canada, and he's now coaching with uh, the Victoria Royals of the WHL. And we'll we'll get all that done uh, before wrapping up here this evening, Dylan. So folks, keep it locked on CHLY 101.7, CHLY. .ca This is Vancouver Island's best hockey talk show. You're listening to Stick in Rink Radio. Zonk. A proud BU Terrier, a 15-year pro who played not only in the National Hockey League but around the globe and TSN's hockey color commentator for the IIHF World Hockey Championship alongside our friend John Abbott. Welcome to the Stick in Rink podcast, Dave Tomlinson.
2: Hey, thanks for having me on. It's Pleasure to get the contact from you to uh, have an invitation and and be a part of things here.
0: Yes, sir. It's our pleasure. How's it going this evening? I mean, enjoying some baseball along with this beautiful weather I see on Twitter.
2: Yeah. uh, uh, Once the the hockey season ends, uh, I've got a son who's nine and a half and a decent little hockey player and a decent baseball player. So he's in his uh, all-stars right now and a bit of a tournament going on to the districts. And then... I got the opportunity to take him out to a Canadians game at a nooner and see what the, the big leagues look like for him. And so, yeah, i uh, try to transition from sport to sport when I can.
0: Great stuff. Uh, and like I said, uh, when we were talking prior to having you on us here on the Stickering Podcast, wish your boy and his team all the best. Dave, this is a, really, a real treat for us because uh, not only... Are you a decorated broadcaster? But you're also a former professional hockey league player with a unique story to accompany that. So let's start at the beginning. Obviously a talented center growing up here in British Columbia. Um, when were your talents first recognized? And in what ways did your parents go about your development? I mean, I imagine like today, there's a junior A and college route and there was a major junior route.
2: Well, you're right. Uh, things have blended now with uh, college and uh, juniors, but uh, I'll go back to myself. Like born and raised on the North Shore in North Vancouver and um, played my minor hockey at the North Shore Winter Club, and we were always fortunate to have a pretty pretty strong team, so I was used to at a young age winning uh, you know, our last game of the season, so provincials or anything on from there, but um, my dad was a professional football player, played in the CFL a bunch of years and won a great cup, so when I was growing up, I was doing multi-sports I played football I played hockey I played soccer I was a swimmer I used to ski up in the cross mountain there so I grew up playing all sorts of sports and then eventually uh, some of them just kind of fell to the wayside and hockey became my primary thing but that wasn't you know probably till 12 years old and uh, you know I played junior uh, I decided that uh, it'd be better to keep my options open for a hockey scholarship, and I wasn't really that big of a guy when I was playing my junior hockey, so I played on a really crappy team in Summerland, but uh, got exposure in the VCHL in my first year and had a 48-goal season as a rookie, which is not bad. And then second year played for the Richmond guys Our coach was uh, Cox's Cox first ever captain, Orline Curtin back, and we won the Centennial Cup, which is the Canadian Championship in tier two junior A and that got me a scholarship to Boston University and it was around that time where I realized that uh, well maybe I could make a living doing this. So, um, you know, it wasn't one of those things where I was the uh, you know, name on everybody's tip of their tongue playing hockey. There's always other guys that we're seemingly getting talked about more, but I decided if I, if I had to make it, I'd have to do it by working my tail off and kind of got that work
0: ethic with my dad. Hard work paid off. And folks, Dave Tomlinson though you said you played on a crappy team in your first year of junior 88 points and you followed that up next season with a banger 43 goals and 108 points in 51 games was it that season where you started to get some interest from the NCAA like when did you start um, hearing from schools um, who were targeting you and, and how does that process work um, in regards to being sought after by an NCAA school
2: well you know, it, it, it's just might have, it's, might, it's changed a little bit, I think, now, but I'll go back to when I was playing. That's uh, back in the uh, late 80s. Um, my first year in Summerland, it was for the Summerland Buckaroos, and we had—we probably had the, the best stereo system in the league. And we had the best <laughs> team jackets in the league, and, and that was about it. We weren't a very good hockey team. But um, I, you know, I, I was all about just offense, and so... Uh, I was putting the pocket in the net. We weren't winning hockey games, but you know, I was trying to pad my stats as a first year junior guy. And at the end of the season, I actually wrote to universities asking them to, as the season was going on, to come down and scout me and watch me play. And I, it was the both Alaska, uh, they had the University of Alaska Fairbanks and uh, the other one as well. And I actually asked them for a scholarship, and I never heard back. And so that wasn't. An- You know, that great. And then my next season with Richmond, we had a team owner who really wanted to build a a real big, uh, tough squad, and he did that. And so once I started putting up the points early, the colleges and universities started coming out and and scouting. And uh, there was a gentleman who, you know, said he could contact the universities for you and have them come out and watch you. And I didn't, uh, nor did my family have the money to, to pay an advisor. So what I used to do was when he would represent one of the other guys in the team and say, hey, you know, so-and-so's in the building. I would say, oh, tell him I want to go over there. So I heard that Boston <laughs> University was was a, coming to watch my buddy play. I was actually Phil Von Stepanelli, And so that I always just, in my head as a kid, thought that I was going to play pro hockey in Boston or play hockey in Boston. It was just whatever. I grew up a Bruins fan as a kid. You know, I was born in 1968. So Bobby Orr and Stan Jonathan were, were my, my guys and, You know, it turned out that I played well when BU was there scouting me, and then they came to watch again. I played well again, and then we uh, went on and and won a bunch of games in the playoffs, obviously to the to the very end. So by the end of that season, they had given me a a a college uh, scholarship opportunity. I there's been maybe fifteen or sixteen different universities that had gotten in touch, but as soon as BU came along, like that was it. I went on a a recruiting mission there, and coach. Jack Parker, on the last day that I was there, there for a couple of days, said, hey, listen, go have back home, talk to your parents, think about what's you know best for your hockey and uh, what's best for your development, and then, you know, get back in touch after a couple of days. And I said, coach, I'm coming. And he said, no, no, go talk to your parents. I said, you know what, it doesn't matter what they say, I'm coming. And it turned out to be, honestly, the smartest hockey decision i ever made because the development I had over my four years at BU turned me from a guy that could put the puck in the net to a guy who could play in, in any aspect of the game.
0: Well, we've had various college players on the show who've developed in the BCHL here on Vancouver Island. You know, the Nanaimo Clippers, the Victoria Grizzlies, Power River Kings, Cowichan Capitals, all great franchises and and heavily supported here. Um, And they're all thrilled with taking the college route, that respected hockey path. They specifically comment on the unique culture um that college hockey has versus major junior um li- like you said there's so much development there on and off the ice but they also said that the locker room is unique as student athletes are not solely athletes and it provides uh, more of a flavor there in the locker room i mean you played with some characters and tremendous a- athletes as well dave i mean can you share a few words on both keith kachuk and uh sean mccarram
2: well i certainly can um I'll just jump back quickly on the decision between Major Junior and uh, going the NCAA route. And and my situation, like, I was 5'7", 150 pounds, and I was playing for the Richmond Sockeyes. Like, I I wasn't, my idea, you know, I didn't think that I would be able to cut it in the Western Hockey League. I thought I'd get uh, eaten up and, and spit out, and the thing with going to university is that you know that when you, at least at that time, when you accept the scholarship, you got four more years of hockey. If I was to go there, you know, Western Hockey League, I might have four weeks and then I'm done. So the idea was, you know, to play as long as I could. And, and again, I had modest goals at that time. I just wanted to, to accept the scholarship and see where things went. But things just the way that they work out at the, the university level. You know, you play on the weekends, you get a whole bunch of practice time, and the biggest thing for me was you spend a ton of time in the gym. So, you know, when I graduated from BU, I was then 5'11 and uh, 185 pounds and, you know, 7% body fat. Like, I went from a scrawny little whatever weakling to, you know, a guy that could could handle the rigors of pro hockey. And mm-hmm. So along learned a way he had some teammates, some characters. Um, Sean McEachern, I'll start with him. I mean, he, here's a guy that could skate like the wind. He was one of the strongest players overall for us in the gym, and just when we used to do training uh we had a five mile run that you had to do to to make the team each uh year (laughs) and and sean couldn't do it he couldn't finish the five miles and, and you have to do it in 40 minutes and he couldn't do it half of it was being lazy because he didn't like to run but i mean here's a guy that was he could squat and he could clean but he just for whatever reason couldn't run long distance and yet was one of the fastest skaters on the team And he always had this kind of weird little laugh when you got him going so between him and Antonio Amante those two guys I mean one was cracking the other up every single time and then Keith Kachuk when he came in to BU he was a freshman when I was a senior and he he was still full of baby fat I mean he was just pudgy and you know guys used to get on him for that and, um, but you could see that, that he could play I mean you know he for a guy that was carrying extra weight as a, you know, a freshman he just he could knock guys over and, and carry the puck to net and our team actually went to the national championship and lost in triple overtime in northern Michigan so that was kind of the, the last memory of uh, being at DU but when I turned pro and ended up with the Winnipeg Jets uh, I was back again with Keith Kachuk and we ended up uh, rooming together and housing together and uh, so it's kind of nice to, to know that on the team.
0: Amazing stuff. Folks, we're joined by Dave Tomlinson, former professional hockey player now broadcaster. You can give him a follow on Twitter, at DaveTSN. Dave, tell us about your transition to the professional game upon graduating from BU, and what NHL slash AHL stop was most memorable to you, and why?
2: Well, so what happened was I got drafted in what was called the supplemental draft, which was for players that didn't get drafted in the regular draft, but you know were college guys, and basically it was a scam for NHL teams to own guys' rights so they wouldn't be free agents. So I was drafted but I, I, I tell this when I do kind of uh, you know some banquet speeches or anything. I was a first rounder of the Toronto Maple Leafs, third overall, but again it was a supplemental draft, so not as uh, big <laughs> weight as the regular entry draft. But um, so they owned my rights. I went to training camp, and, and here's how things have changed. They had. Uh, 65 guys invited to camp. Uh, training camp, they divided the team. Into, I think they divided into three or four teams. And all you did was scrimmage and beat the crap out of each other. And so this was different for me coming out of um, college hockey. They fights and everything like that. But there were 14 centermen at training camp, and seven of them were on one-way contracts. So I knew that I was probably not going to crack the Maple Leafs. I got sent down to St. John's, which was the, the new farm club the Toronto Maple Leafs and it was the first time that St. John's had a pro team and we just, we had a good team. We had three rookie centermen, myself, Yannick Perot and Mike Eastwood and we went all the way to the Calder Cup Final. We actually lost in Game 7 to the Adirondack Red Wings, coached by Barry Melrose and, we, and that was the first time ever in the AHL that the home team lost every game. So we lost the first two games at home, won the next two games on the road Lost game five, won game six, and then we were ahead two one in game seven, and ended up losing five two. Our coach was Mark Crawford, and our player coach was Joel Clinton.
0: Wow, what a bench! Well wow. I mean, what was it like to play for that tandem? I mean that 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 just screams fire.
2: Mark Crawford. It was his first year coaching professionally. He'd come out of uh, junior. Um, he. He was one of the best coaches I had at, at preparing guys to play. Like his, his talk or his speech or his you know, fire and brimstone before hockey games would have you ready to go and playing uh, on the rock in Newfoundland. I mean, the fans, it was a sellout every night. So we had no problem getting up and, and getting ready for hockey games. On the bench, uh, Crow, the early Crow days, like he used to lose his temper like crazy. Still you know, did that as an NHL coach, but he's tempered, you know, now, but, uh, it was like, you, you would never want to be in his crosshairs. And because we had so many rookies, I somehow just eluded, uh, you know, his, his venom and it it actually really helped me. But again, you know, the story of my career was one in, in which I had to really prove myself because, at the time, you know, you, you addressed your 12 forwards, but um, I was their 13th forward. I, You know, I didn't know if I was going to play my first game. And then we had an injury before the game. Uh, so I ended up playing my first ever game in Hershey uh, against the Hershey Bears. And uh, my winger was Kevin McClellan. And uh, he he helped me because nobody touched me and he'd yeah, go after him. So I had a lot of protection my first year, which was pretty big. But like I said, we, I was a checking sentiment on, on one of the best teams in the league. And it took us all the way to the finals.
0: Folks, Dave absolutely crushed it in the minors and in the International Hockey League. I mean, over a point per game in each league, respectively. It's worth checking out the numbers on Elite Prospect. Uh, Dave, you also tore it up in the DEL over in Germany, um, and that's where your European pro hockey career took off. So coming off a 96-point season in the IHL uh, in 86 games, not a big deal. Why, why did you and your representation believe Germany was a good fit, which... Obviously it was, and what what was it like making a living as a pro athlete overseas?
2: Well, I'll tell you what happened is, you know, once I turned pro, I gave myself five years to be a regular NHLer. And uh, it just, it, it, I didn't get, uh, you know, the ice time that I, I needed when I was with Toronto, so I asked for a trade. I got traded to Winnipeg. Uh, trivia, for people who are going to listen to this, deep, I was the first ever player traded away From the Florida Panthers. So I was traded from um, Toronto through to Florida, and then Florida traded me to the Winnipeg Jets. And so out of all the transactions that they had by taking players off, you know, the um, expansion process and everything else, I was the actual first body that they ever traded out of Florida. So anyways, um, you know, played in Winnipeg played almost the full season was a healthy scratch a lot we went to the Calder Cup uh, final again in that year and um, then I wanted to get out of Winnipeg I wanted a a new opportunity went to Florida they're an expansion team Roger Nielsen was the coach but for whatever reason I couldn't crack that squad as a regular checking guy so I went to Cincinnati and IHL put up a couple hundred point seasons and my thinking was okay if I'm putting up 100 points and the Florida Panthers can't score goals and they're not going to give me an opportunity then I'm not going to go to another team and try to prove my worth. Uh, I want to go somewhere where I could play big minutes and be a part of something, and I ended up uh, going to Mannheim, Germany, and it turned out to be one of the best decisions uh, for my pro hockey career because when I got there, um, they built a team that was ready to win, and um, we won four championships my first five years, and I was a big fish in a small pond and making a ton of money and driving a Porsche, and I was single, so hey. Who wouldn't want to do
0: that? You spent most of your uh, European career in Germany. What caused you to change and make the move to uh, the Swiss League in 2005-2006?
2: Well, what happened was played a bunch of years in Mannheim. We were a powerhouse. and We had a new coach come in. He wanted to change all the veterans, so I ended up going to Nuremberg for a year. It wasn't run what I was used to with the organization, how I came from Mannheim which was professionally run real well. So I asked to get out of there, went to Hamburg, played two season there. I tore up my, uh, ligaments in, ligaments in my wrist pretty bad. And it was my, my 10th year in Germany. And, um, some teams were waiting to sign other guys. And then I got an opportunity from uh, a team in Switzerland and in Swiss B league in Martine. The coach called me up. Uh, Kevin Ryan was his name. He said, listen, Dave, um, I know about you. I know about your career. I need a veteran in my dressing room. Um, we can't pay a ton, but you don't. You know, you can help me out with uh, coaching. You can practice if you want. You don't have to practice if you don't want. I just need your veteran presence because I got a young hockey team. And I said to him, you know what? I appreciate that. Um, guy, he gave me a contract, gave me money that was decent. And I told him, listen, I'm not going to take a day off. That's not going to prove anything to the young kids. And so it was just it was a new opportunity. But usually in the Swiss B League, you're only as good as your two imports and our import defenseman got injured in training camp, Ted Crowley, so he was gone, and then we brought in Terry Yake, who became a buddy of mine, but he broke his thumb, so then he was gone, and then we brought in this, uh, the coach that brought me there got fired, and they brought in a uh, Russian coach who spoke Russian and French, because is a French town, I, I don't speak either, I spoke German and English. And then what happened was they brought in this young Russian as another import, and he wasn't very good. So our team was starting to spiral down. At the end of the season, because I was making some good dough, the president tried to get me to quit and said, We're not going to pay you. And I said, Well, sorry, I got a contract. You're not to pay me or let me go back to Germany. And they said, "Uh, Yeah, we'd rather let you go back to Germany. So there's a transfer window, and it's usually before the playoffs. I was able to. Execute that get out of uh, my contract in Martinet. I went to Krayfeldt to play for the Penguins, and they brought me in there to help them get into the playoffs, which we did. And that was uh, the last professional hockey I played.
0: Well, what an end to, uh, like I said, a very unique hockey story and career, and uh, you did quite well in those playoffs. I believe Uh, four points, two goals in five games, so a nice bow on uh, that career Dave and thanks for sharing that story with us a listener of TSN 1040 when you contributed uh, those many years and you know I heard you talk about the Canucks but I didn't get a chance to hear about you yourself and your career so our listeners will be excited about that too Uh, quickly um, I want to ask one more question uh, about your broadcasting career before we close out here Um, in 2010 it was announced that you would replace Tom Larshide as the color commentator for the Vancouver Canucks radio broadcast um, starting from the 2000 2011 season onward I mean this was a special season for so many reason, reasons as you know but it was also a special season for my peer group and myself as we graduated high school that spring so you can imagine you know as a young Canucks fan as a teenager a bunch of boys just who loved hockey how special that was for us um, before we close things up here though, uh, though Dave tell us um, how you went from being a pro hockey player uh, a decorated one in that over in Europe to a color commentator of the Canucks, I mean, where did your interest in media start and how did you eventually develop the skills to step into some big shoes here in the Canucks media scene?
2: <sighs> Honestly, when I was growing up, when I was a kid, my idea, my, my goals were to play pro hockey for a living and be a sports broadcaster. Like, literally, from a four, five, six, seven year old kid. Uh, I told you earlier that, you know, I always thought that I'd play hockey in Boston. That was one of my ideas, is that I was going to play hockey in Boston, and then after I'm done hockey, I'm going to get into sports broadcasting. And it 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 was just one of those things that that was what I was going to do. And so I I don't usually have a plan B. Uh, I have plan A, and I make it work, and that's kind of how my life has gone. And um, it was interesting because – I had met Paul Carson, who actually started Team 1040 way back in the day because he was uh, dating a girl who was the sister of a teammate of mine back when I played hockey at the North Shore Winter Club. And Paul was from Winnipeg and remembered me from my Jets days. And I uh, was talking with him, and I told him, "Hey, you know, after my pro hockey career is over, I want to be a sports broadcaster." And he's like, "Oh, well, come on to the station and um, you know get to get to." know what it's like so as I was still playing I went visit the station I met Brooke Ward and he said hey why don't you come on with me right now I said I'm like zero prep sure sure so uh, you know had an opportunity to do that with him and it just kind of set the seed and when I had finished my last year pro uh, team uh, 1040 had just gotten the rights to the Vancouver Canucks I'd gone into their offices and said hey remember me I was on a while ago they said yeah I said hey listen here's what's up I'm going to quit hockey and I'm going to work for you guys. And the program director, Rob Gray, said, well, that's nice to hear. Like We like your contributions, but we we don't have a job for you. And I said, no, that's okay. We'll figure it out. And he said, well, you'd have to find a way to get paid. I said, oh, we'll figure that out too. I just want to know if you can put me on the air sometime. And I said, yeah, we'll, we'll find a time for you. So that was it, Humble Beginnings. I had a seven-minute segment with Brooke Ward at 10.30 at night called The Hockey Hotspot. And I'd always told... Rob Gray, and this is the first time I've told the story that if ever there's an opportunity to do color, that's what I want to do. I said, I'll do anything else you want, but if, and I know you've got Tom Larshide, and, and I, he's my favorite, and I love him and respect him, but if there's ever going to be a change or an opportunity, please give me a chance. And he said, I can't guarantee that, but I'll keep that in mind. And then lo and behold, you know, Tom would take a break through the season. They gave me a couple reps. And then um, it just so happened that that summer, You wouldn't believe this, but I read in the newspaper that, um, Tom Lerscheidt is retiring, right? Um, and so the next day I get an email that I'm supposed to come in and talk to my program director. So I'm thinking, okay, they're making changes and they're going to fire me. And so I go, I drive there ready to defend myself on getting fired. And so I go to meet the program manager, he says, hey, come down to, to HR, we gotta talk. So I, I'm understanding that now I'm going into the room with HR and they're gonna you know, let me go and I've been there for you know, four or five years and all that stuff. So I'm about to stand up and light into these people for what I'm thinking is them telling me they can't either afford me or, or have room for me or, or whatever. But instead I just decided to sit down and listen and they offered me the color job. Wow. And uh, before uh, they they told me, you know, what they were was going to entail, I had said yes. I had said yes, 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 yes. And um, that was it. And it turned out to be, obviously, a, a special year because the Canucks went all the way. Um, it, it was something I'll ever forget. I obviously wish that Game 7 would have gone a different way, so I had a better ending to my, my first year of being a color commentator, but it truly is my passion, and I'm going to get back into the color chair for somebody, maybe it's a crux, but um, sometimes soon. mark my words.
0: Outstanding stuff, Dave, and I mean tremendous broadcasting career, tremendous hockey career. We wish you all the best. We're out of time right now, but we thank you for yours. It was an absolute pleasure having you on Stick and Rink, and I hope we can catch up again soon down the road.
2: All right, I love it part two sounds great.
0: And maybe we can get John Abbott up uh, with you because he's been on the show before and he's uh, he, he's talked very highly of you as well and we love that pair at the World Hockey Championship. so maybe we can uh, set something up soon.
2: That would be good. I could tell you I will I will tell you then who gave him the nickname Aberdoodle.
0: Oh, there you go uh, cliffhanger for our listeners. Thanks again, Dave.
2: You bet.